Welcome to Project BGR, craft beer and conversation. And did we mention craft beer? The beer guys Tim Dennis and Aaron Williams talk to the makers and creators from the craft beer world and beyond. Now, time for Project BGR with your hosts, Tim and Aaron. Welcome to Project BGR. I'm Tim Dennis. And I'm Aaron Williams. If you don't know, we host a radio show based out of Atlanta, Beer Guys Radio, where we cover the craft beer scene across the Southeast, but we love to talk beer with people from around the country. And in this episode, we've got a great one. We attended the Great American Beer Festival in Denver, Colorado in October 2016, and it was really an awesome trip. That's right. It was a work trip, too. That's what we tell work everybody. Right. That's right. We did work. No, we did. We had yes. a ton of interviews, including this one. We spoke to founder Jesse Friedman and brewer blender Phil Emerson from San Francisco's Almanac Beer Company. Let's listen in. We are here with the good people from Almanac Brewing. We're talking to Phil Emerson. He's a brewer blender. And Jesse Friedman, one of the founders. Guys, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. So, guys, we're going to start off with something because we're here at GABF. And, uh, uh, Jesse, when you came down, you're, you're wearing uh, some hardware on there. So you've, uh, <laughs> you've meddled at this year's Great American Beer Festival, correct? Yeah, we are, we are incredibly excited. We picked up a silver for our white label, which is a uh, Muscat uh, wine grape sour uh, that's barrel-aged and used wine barrels. And then we dry hop it with some really fun German aroma hops as well. Awesome. And this is the first medal we've ever won at GABF. Is it? Congratulations. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Exciting. Really I'm excited I picked up a bottle of that uh, today, so we'll have to crack Get it open soon. Absolutely. Okay. You picked up a bottle, we picked up a medal, everyone wins. Everybody wins. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Well, Jesse, I'll tell you what, something simple. Why don't you tell us kind of your craft beer story, what got you to this point? Sure, sure. I, uh, so I, I remember my dad was a home brewer when I was a kid, and he would give me tastes of it, and I thought it was really terrible, Uh, (laughs) really, really bad. Um, But then I really, you know, I really got into craft beer in college. Um, I was a student at UC Davis, and I took an introduction to beer making class with uh, Dr. Charlie Bamforth, and he sort of really explored the culture of beer, and I, I came out of that class with just a huge enthusiasm for homebrewing and started homebrewing right afterwards. And I was a homebrewer in a very small San Francisco apartment for a long time, and then I was a craft beer blogger. I now identify as a recovering craft beer blogger. Those are the best uh, kind. <laughs> and so I, uh, yeah, and I did actually a bunch of beer dinners uh, through that beer blog as well, which was sort of the first inkling that, holy cow, people will give me money related to beer things with me, which was very exciting. Uh, and then I met, uh, I was involved with the homebrew club in San Francisco, and I met my business partner, Damien, in that homebrew club. And so... Um, people would bring like a mix of homebrew and commercial beers and I picked up a bottle of beer with this just like gorgeous label on it and was like I've never even heard of this brewery and Damien was like oh that's actually my homebrew I'm a designer by you know, my daytime job as a designer, so I just put world class labels on all my homebrew, and it was love at first homebrew site. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's fun with the, I'm a homebrewer too, and I, I love to do that. I play with the labels, and it's it's fun to put something there. You know, you put out, and I've had people say, "Well, where can I get this?" I'm like, "You got to come to my house. You know, you want this, or we may bring it around." It's yeah. fun to play with that. So, yeah. Phil, what's your story? How'd you get into brewing? Yeah, so I uh, was living in San Diego uh, about 10 years ago, and uh, which was like the early beer mecca, I'd say, in the country, sure. and uh, started homebrewing down there, and I was really fortunate to, um, to live above a, a world-class bar there, and I could bring my homebrew downstairs for a critique, and got a lot of positive and constructive negative feedback, <laughs> um, but I found that you know it was kind of something that I was really into, I was, was going for engineering in college, and wasn't really excited about the prospects of that, and, um, so I applied to Davis and I got in and 
that's uh, beer fermentation school. I studied under uh, Dr. Banforth as well. And uh, while I was going to school, I was able to work at Sudwork, um, it's the lager house. So lager is kind of my first love of beer in general. Um, you know, really hard style to make, clean lager. Uh, that's how I cut my teeth was, was making pilsners there. Um, and that's only a short while ago, really. I've been brewing for almost four years now. I've been okay. for about a year and a half. Yeah, but, it's funny because we talked to a lot of brewers, and it's like pilsners, lager, like <laughs> light lagers, you have nowhere to hide. There's so no, if yeah. you're good, you're going to brew a really good pilsner. And we always exceed. Most of the brewers that we talk to, 80% of the time, they've got a pilsner in their hands. Oh, yeah. Because they know that that's... that's that's the quality. I mean, if you know... Beer-flavored beer. Flavored beer. Right. Yeah. And also the Catch-22 that is as tricky as the style is to brew a really good one, it doesn't get as much respect or appreciation of that from the sure. from the consumer side of things. You know, they're not excited by... This is an absolutely fantastic, you know, Pilsner. Check Pils, perfect for styling that. People don't get excited by that as much, you know, out there on the consumer side. So it's a labor of love, right? People think styles. of those, uh, you know, their, their dad's old can of beer. Yeah. Craft yeah. beer is... Definitely much better. Well, it's interesting. Both of you guys are from UC Davis. Um, huge brewing school. Tell us a little bit about that experience. I mean, what, what is that like to go through that uh, go through that experience? Because, I mean, it's one of the few really big brewing schools in the country. I have a totally unemployable liberal arts degree. Awesome. Uh, Me too. Join the club. All right. Join the club. UC Davis. So, therefore, you become a brewer. So, right? therefore, <laughs> I, became, I became a brewer and hired Phil, uh, who got yeah. the professional experience in training there. I, I'd say it was the best, you know best leg up I could get was going to Davis and working in a brewery at the same time and it's you know it's one thing to learn about microbes or brew house engineering or anything like that and it's nothing to get out of class and then go practice it that same day yeah. and yeah is that practical experience that you're getting in the classroom but then actually applying it to, to, yeah. to what you're Calculate doing how big of a pump you need but then actually go run it you know yeah it's exactly. kind of a fun and Dr. Bamforth is just brilliant I mean I've heard his interviews and just the knowledge he has I'll probably Never, all they say he's probably forgotten more than all than all learned, you know, with what he has there. So to learn under him, that's that's pretty amazing. So yeah, if you just Google his name, you can find like a one hour Google talk he yeah. did, and I highly recommend cracking a cracking a good craft pilsner and uh, and watching watching the video. He is he's highly entertaining. He was a QA manager for Bass Ale and alternates writing books about soccer and beer. It's a good combination. I kind of yeah, like exactly. it. So I could take football instead, but that's okay. Yeah. You know, so um, we talk so much about farm-to-table in this industry, you know, in the food industry. Everyone's farm-to-table, farm-to-table. You guys are farm-to-barrel. Tell us a little bit about the, what you guys do with, with your process. So when we, you know, when we started Almanac, Damien and I really, you know, we looked at sort of the beer scene in the San Francisco Bay Area. And to us at the time, you know, it was still, we had Sierra, we had Anchor, we had Russian River, but there wasn't a lot of really small breweries at the time. And when you went into these, uh, a lot of these amazing farm-to-table restaurants, what you would see is this incredibly intricate, detailed wine list. And then, you know, uh, plates of food, you know, that are just, you know, obsessively sourced and hand-washed, you know, vegetables. And then some beer. And it felt like beer wasn't sort of um, interacting with that conversation about sourcing, and it wasn't a part of that culture of it. Beer was just sort of, oh, yeah, and if you don't want wine was a part of it, but beer wasn't. Yeah, it's kind of like if you if you want that farm-to-table experience, you got a great wine to pair with it. Right. But yeah, if you don't drink wine, beer's over here. Right, and so, you know, for us, if, you know, very quickly we were like, you know, how do we integrate, you know, how do we become a part of that farm-to-table experience? Mm-hmm. And so for us, you know, as homebrewers, this is exactly what we were already doing, was going to the farmer's market, buying lots of fruit from these farms. And so uh, from the very, very beginning, Almanac, you know, we really started with the idea of we want to work with these farms. We want to embrace 
um, a sense of terroir, which is like a dirty wine word. It means like a sense of place. You know, and wine is vintage. Wine, you know, a 2012 should taste different than a 2013, should taste different than a 2014. Whereas beer is the opposite. Beer, malt is blended. Hops are blended. Everything's homogenized so that when you drink that Sierra Nevada Pale Ale today and you drink a Sierra Nevada Pale Ale six weeks from now, those beers taste the same. Mm -hmm. You know, and so for us... You know, collaborating with these local farms was a really great way to bring back a sense of seasonality into our beer and infuse a sense of place. So as California went through a really big drought and a lot of the plants uh, didn't get as much water as they would if there were a lot of these naturally irrigated farms, that struggle is reflected in the flavor of the fruit. And so the blackberries from last year are going to have a different character. And instead of trying to blend that away, we wanted to embrace that. You know, so... Why do you think terroir isn't mentioned more with beer? Have we not gotten to that point yet, or because it, you know, it definitely has its influence? I know, especially with the the wild ales. You know, if I drink a, a Jester King, you know, there's. I'd like to say I can. If the blindfold was on, it may be a different story. But when I taste a Jester King, I can taste that that's a Jester King beer. The same with a, a Jolly Pumpkin or a Russian River. But it doesn't get discussed as much with beer as it does wine. Uh, yeah. Why do you think that is? I mean, you know, beer, you know, post-prohibition, everything got, you know, folded together and gave American Pilsner a bad name. And homogenization and consistency became the name of the game. So it is changing and it's coming. And I think it's sort of entering that sort of mainstream of the beer discussion. You know, at GABF this year, so many more fruited beers, so many more barrel-aged beers, so many more sour beers. You know, so many people trying to do things that are creating regional differences and embracing, you know, stylistic creativity as a opposed to just trying to make something that's the same, the same, the same, the same. I mean, and the thing is, we like that too. Yeah. I think there is um, value in when you crack one of our craft pilsners, it's important to us that it tastes the same as the last one we had, yeah. right. you know, that consistency. So we sort of, we, we do both. We do, you know, beers. And the thing is, you can't build the terroir in by accident. It has to be built in very consciously and carefully. And that, you know, the blending is a really great example of where we really can emphasize, okay, what are we tasting in these barrels that we like? And what are the flavors we want to emphasize? And what are, you know, those threads we want to pull on? And so the barrel aging is another step where, you know, the fruit gets put into the barrels with these beer. And then those barrels become very unique and interesting, too. And so we go through and taste barrels. So that'll be, you know, oftentimes 100 barrels. And it starts out as a dream job, and then it's a death mark. By about barrel twenty or so, right. yeah. and you get one or two really bad bar- barrels, you know. And you know, and we always tell people the secret sauce to making great barrel aged beer isn't hard. It's it's you know a willingness to do things the slow way and a willingness to dump beer. Yeah, you know, you really have to. You know, uh, I compare barrel blending as a lot like being a good photographer. If you upload to Facebook every photo you took on your vacation, it doesn't matter if there's really good ones because it's so drowned out. Mm-hmm. So right. it's about editing and selecting. Yeah, and it's funny because we talked to Rare Barrel yesterday. Um, those guys there, and they're talking about how to find that one barrel that they really Well, that's their work. whole, I mean, they found yeah. they found that one barrel. Exactly. Yeah. So. They come through. They I, haven't tr- what they're doing. I haven't tried it, so. Yeah. I don't know. It's um, not like a fun, like you said, we've uh, with the homebrew club, we've had homebrew club competitions. Sure. And we've got about a dozen members, so our average one, we usually get about ten people there. And even on that small scale, by that tenth beer, it's, it's hard. It's not easy to taste and, and judge and say, this is better you remember back and oh I thought this one was really good but now I think this one's really good oh, and to go back sure. and yeah. delineate that is something 
But, you know, that's, you know, palate being trained as a judge, learning to taste beer. That is a skill. It's a muscle. It has to be, you know, it is fun. Mm -hmm. You know, of course it's fun. It's beer. But it is, you know, it's also, there's an aspect of that where that's where the work happens. You know, and if you just get drunk, then you don't end up creating something special. Yeah. Now, speaking of something special, too, you guys have uh, really kind of partnered with a lot of your Northern California farmers out there. What's been their reaction to uh, the partnership that you guys have developed with them? Oh, they love free beer. Um, there you it's, go. Uh, it's really great. I mean, so many of these farms, you know, they're in agricultural areas and mm-hmm. outside, you know, not near, right by the city. They tend to be in the Central Valley. And the life of a farmer is rough. Sure. It's really, really hard. Um, I like to joke that we're the only, you know, client that they have that we negotiate up our prices on some of our fruit. Because we think of the partnerships we have with these farms as lasting partnerships, and they're mutually beneficial. And if we are trying to drive them down on every penny on that, then they're not going to be around to sell us, you know, fruit next year. And, you know, our we love getting the farmers a little more involved in the selection. So, like, we do our, uh, our Farmers Reserve Citrus. We pair with um, Hamada Farms, which is in Kingsburg. It's outside Fresno in the California Central Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a Japanese-American family that has tilled the same piece of land since 1910. And they grow just this incredibly huge, you know, for crazy different varietals of all sorts of different stuff. So we get yuzus, mellows, and Meyer lemons, and caracara oranges, and Moro blood oranges, and just the list goes on and on. Yeah, really, yeah, with the Buddha's hands, really, really cool stuff. Same part as the beginning, right? Yeah, yeah. And so what we had, what we like to do is right when that winter citrus peaks, we basically say, what do you have that's great? And we get him involved in that selection process. And then we bring him back the beer, and we get, you know, so many of these places... It's very expensive to eat in San Francisco. Oh, yes, it is. You know, and yes, they and uh, they these farmers oftentimes I don't think get to sort of experience what comes out on the other side. And so we love it's such a point of pride for us to bring cases of these beers back to the farmers, let them take them back to the farm and share with their families and the people that help do it and sort of complete that. So circle. it's almost a collaborative effort. It's not like I want to brew this beer. What do you have? What do you have that we can brew together? I think so, that's that's yeah. exactly right. We taste the fruit, and then we choose barrels to add the fruit to based on that. Again, it's that editing process. It's that selection process. You're listening to Project BGR. It's time for us to take a quick break, but we'll be back in just a minute with more from Jesse and Phil from Almanac Beer Company right after this. Hey, this is Aaron. I want to thank you so much for listening to the Beer Guys Radio Show. We've got some really awesome things that are coming soon that will help us engage with you some more. We're not going to lie to you, though. It takes time, effort, and money to produce this show every week. So if you'd like to be part of the Beer Guys family, we would love your help. Head to patreon.com slash beerguys to become a sponsor. We're not going to beg. Okay, maybe just a little bit. But hey, we've got some great swag for those who become a sponsor, and you'll be among the first to know about the great things that are coming to the Beer Guys universe. Again, that's patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash beer guys or you can go to beerguysradio.com and click the sponsor link. We thank you for your supports and cheers. Welcome back to Project BGR. Let's listen into the rest of our interview with Jesse and Phil from Almanac. Now, Phil, you're a brewer blender. Uh, so with that aspect, with your, your kind of barrel and fruited beers and that, how much of the work goes into the brewing side and how much into, say, the aging and blending side f- from your perspective? The truth is uh, 90% of the time just goes into cleaning. Into cl- <laughs> yes, you know, that's the brewer, cleaning right? Cleaning out barrels yeah. is, a, is a very tedious task. Uh-huh. Um, 
I'd say the brewing is, is, is probably the easiest part, is making the wort, having that ferment out. Um, the hardest part is definitely finding a home for, for a barrel. You know, where does this fit in the blend? Sometimes you get a barrel that's just so unique. It's, it's you know, it's, it's a pretty barrel. There's not an off flavor about it, but it just doesn't fit in that blend. So I always have, like, these orphans that I'm holding on to and looking forward to, you know, projects in the future that I can, I can kind of find a nice home right. for it. I find something with the... Because, you know, some of these, they may have... They may not be or they aren't on their own what you want to drink. Definitely. You know, it's finding those those notes that match with each other and get them all to play play together. Like a piece of music, you know. You, if you have one that's just playing that, you put it together for the for the symphony, everything comes together in, in that. Rough so. the edges and smooth it out. Right, yeah. exactly. Cool. Now, Jesse, listen, I, I'm going to go off off script here. Sure. I'm going to talk about your tattoo. Oh. That you've got <laughs> as well, yeah. So you've got a shaker. I'm, I'm gonna, we're going to post this on, on our yeah. website because I'm going to take a picture of it. But sure. you've got a shaker glass with an X, X, X'd out with a fluted glass that you want. So tell us about that. I mean, you know, we so can this, talk about this. The, is, this is taken off Russian River's label or cork. Okay. Because, you know, who gets their own brewery tattooed on them? That's true. Um, and what's fun, you know, what's, uh, and for me, you know, I'd, I'd been, this was my first tattoo and I'd been wanting a tattoo forever. Um, and for me, it sort of was about not so much that I will refuse to drink out of a shaker pint or something yeah. terrible like that, but more about like what it represents in terms of the shift of beer culture and that it let me leave my nine to five job and get to work in beer and think mm-hmm. about beer and do things like this all the time, you know, which was so, so incredible. And for me, it's about that shift in beer and moving, you know, the sort of symbolic shift from the shaker pint to the tool of glass. Yeah, and you, and you see, you know, back in the day when we first started in a craft beer, I'm sure all of us did, it was the shaker pint or nothing, basically. Sure. But now, I mean, you know, you look at GABF, they've got the Spiegelau tent that's there, and they've got two dozen types of craft yeah. beer glasses for sure. each type of stock. But it's all cyclical. Now we drink yeah. Pilsner from cans again. So that's true. That's right true. There you go. Yeah. That's it. So guys, talking about the uh, the partnerships with that, that, what's been one of your what's been one of your favorites that just everything came together the way you wanted it to there? In terms of like farms that like we, with farms with that you the work farms with. that yeah. we work with, um, I love. We work with a farm called Blossom Bluff Orchards. They're in, also in the for sort of Fresno area. I mean, like all the food is grown in oh, Central exactly. Valley. Central I Valley mean, is just so. So, so we lush. were at this farm yeah. called Blossom Bluff. It's right on Kings River, um, and they probably grow thirty to forty different types of pluots. And we work cool. with uh, Bryce there, the farmer that runs it. What he'll actually do is they pick. Pluots and they'll uh, they break them down and take the pits out and then they freeze them for us. So instead of getting a snapshot of one moment in time, we get the entire summer. Mm, and so okay. we get that summer sort of represented, and we get you know 15, 20 different types of pluots. And as those sort of come up and down, we get different ones. And then when we go through and taste those barrels, you can actually track those changes. So some of them are more plummy, some are more peachy, some you get that tannic skin character others are really apricotty and it just gives us like that huge really fun range of you know once you know the combination of the wild bugs and the bacteria and the barrel and the fruit makes you know there's so many variables there that makes each barrel becomes its own little biome of, mm-hmm. of character and they really are very very expressive and so our goal is not when we blend not to homogenize them but to highlight those those characteristics now, guys, you're, am I correct? You're, you're gypsy brewers as of right now. Is that right? It's a hybrid model. Okay. Uh, we brew in a couple different places. We have a barrel aging facility, about 1,400 oak barrels in San Jose. And then we're brewing IPA and Pilsner now in San Francisco, too. Okay. At your facility or our side? Uh, no. The, well, the uh, San Francisco is another brewery, uh, and then it's sort of a shared hybrid facility okay. down in San Jose. How's that process been for you as far as working with that business model? 
You know, it works. It's, uh, I think, you know, we always, what we always say when you talk about contract brewing or gypsy brewing is, let's have a conversation about authenticity. And that just because something is labeled that we don't own, you know, first of all, when we say we don't own the fermenter, it seems especially silly since we own a bunch of fermenters. We just don't own the brew kettle now, right. yeah. you know. Um, that it's about owning the process and owning, taking responsibility and making sure you're in control and producing a product that you can really stand behind. Yeah, and let's face it, San Francisco real estate is not cheap. No, it is a little, <laughs> it's a little spendy right now. Yeah, definitely. Well, speaking of, too, you're also opening up a tap room. Just uh, started developing that in the Mission District. So yes. how is that going to help you and uh, kind of expand your process? And your I mean, we, we've never had a tap room. This, is, uh, this will be the first place that you'll actually be able to visit Almanac in a physical location and sort of experience, all, you know, Know, visiting a place and seeing this is what Almanac is instead of it just being in a bottle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we think that's a really, really cool opportunity um, for, you know, be, we've been stockpiling vintage beers since we started the brewery. We really want to share those. We want to do smaller projects that we can just do taproom only specials too. Just lots of new opportunities and different ways to serve beer to people. Excellent. Now that's an interesting uh, method to go there. You see a lot of breweries where it's able to, we're from Georgia, where a brewery cannot direct sell to consumers there. So we don't get a lot of real small breweries open up because it's just not economically viable for them. So, but in a lot of other places, you do see where they start small, where they can just serve in the tap room and that. Any particular reason for kind of going the other, just make things as hard as possible, go the other direction? We have no idea what we're doing. Okay, (laughs) just fall into it, right? Yeah, (laughs) you know, we've always, you know, I think we, uh, we, you know, we launched with barrel-aged beer from the beginning, you know, instead of an IPA. So our approach has always been one of trying sort of, when people are going one way, we try and look for opportunities to go a different way, Mm -hmm. you know, and sort of just follow where we see successes, and that's sort of what brought us down that road, you know, as we found different places to brew beer. You know, it's funny, when we started the brewery, contract brewing was such a dirty word, and it's almost trendy now, you know. right. I mean, you got Grimm Brothers in New York City, you got a lot of those places that are doing that kind of contract brewing now, because again... Real estate ain't cheap. And we see that talking about our business model in Georgia. We see a lot of people do that because it is a little more economically feasible to get someone that can contract brew for you, introduce your beer to the market. And uh, we have one opening right now, or just opened in Kennesaw, a suburb of Atlanta, that they did contract for a while because it allowed them to start making a name while they built their brewery out. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's just a, it's a good way to do it. But like I said, it is, uh, the connotation from some people is it's a dirty word, but a lot of people use it as a, it's a good leg up to, to launch yeah. your business. Yeah. We're proud of the beer we make. Absolutely. You should yeah, be. It's Absolutely. good stuff. One quick note, Almanac's White Label, which is their Wild Ale blended in wine cast, actually won the silver medal for Mixed Culture Brett Beer. Congrats. That's right. It was a really good one, too. And I got to wear the medal in a picture. You did, and I got to drink the beer, so that makes me happy, too. Hey, thanks for listening to Project BGR. Of course, special thanks to Jesse and Phil for taking the time out to talk to us. Remember, Project BGR is available on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe, and please do leave us a rating. It helps us out a lot. Definitely. Plus, tune in to Beer Guys Radio every Saturday for all the news you need to know about the craft beer movement in the Southeast. We podcast that, too. And, of course, we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just uh, search Beer Guys Radio. Cheers, and we'll talk to you next time.